Book Two, Chapter Six of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six The Widow Browns. It was not to my credit that I should have lost the trail after Mr. Jackson put me straight, but the night was dark, the country unknown to me, and heavily wooded and mountainous. In addition to these things, my mind ran like fire my thoughts sometimes flew back to the wondrous summer evening when i trod the nalachucky trace with tom and polly ann when i first looked down upon the log palace of that prince of the border john sevier well i remembered him broad-shouldered handsome gay a courtier in buckskin small wonder he was idolized by the watauga settlers that he had been their leader in the struggle of franklin for liberty and a small wonder that nick temple should be in his following nick my mind was in a torment concerning him what of his mother should i speak of having seen her i went blindly through the woods for hours after the night fell my horse stumbling and weary until at length i came to a lonely clearing on the mountainside and a fierce pack of dogs dashed barking at my horse's heels there was a dark cabin ahead indistinct in the starlight and there i knocked until a gruff voice answered me and a tousled man came to the door yes i had missed the trail he shook his head when i asked for the widow browns and bade me share his bed for the night no i would go on i was used to the backwoods thereupon he thawed a little kicked the dogs and pointed where the mountain dipped against the star-studded sky there was a trail there which led direct to the widow brown's if i could follow it so i left him once the fear had settled deeply in missing nick at the widow brown's i put my mind on my journey and thanks to my early training i was able to keep the trail it doubled around the spurs forded stony brooks and diagonals and often in the darkness of the mountain forest i had to feel for the blazes on the trees there was no making time i gained the notch with the small hours of the morning started on with the descent criss-crossing following a stream here and a stream there until at length the song of the higher waters ceased and i knew that i was in the valley suddenly there was no crown cover over my head i had gained the road once more and i followed it hopefully avoiding the stumps and the deep wagon ruts where the ground was spongy the morning light revealed a milky mist through which the trees showed like phantoms then there came stains upon the mist of royal purple of scarlet of yellow like a mandarin's robe peeps of deep blue fading into azure as the mist lifted the fiery eye of the sun was cocked over the crest and beyond me i saw a house with its logs all golden brown in the level rays the withered cornstalks orange among the blackened stumps my horse stopped of its own will at the edge of the clearing a cock crew a lean hound prostrate on the porch of the house rose to his haunches sniffed growled leaped down and ran to the road and sniffed again i listened startled and made sure of the distant ring of many hoofs 
and yet I stayed there, irresolute. Could it be Tipton and his men riding from Jonesboro to capture Sevier? The hoofbeats grew louder, and then the hound in the road gave tongue to the short, sharp bark that is the call to arms. Other dogs, hitherto unseen, took up the cry, and, turning in my saddle, I saw a body of men riding hard at me through the alley in the forest. At their head, on a heavy, strong-legged horse, was one who might have stood for the figure of turbulence, and I made no doubt that this was Colonel Tipton himself. Colonel Tipton, once secessionist, now champion of the old North State, and arch-enemy of John Sevier. At sight of me he reined up so violently that his horse went back on his haunches, and the men behind were near overriding him. "'Look out, boys!' he shouted with a fierce oath. "'They've got guards out!' He flung back one hand to his holster for a pistol, while the other reached for the powder flask at his belt. He primed the pan, and seeing me immovable, set his horse forward at an amble, his pistol at the cock. "'Who in the hell are you?' he cried. "'A traveller from Virginia,' I answered. "'And what are you doing here?' he demanded with another oath. "'I've just this moment come here,' said I, as calmly as I might. "'I lost the trail in the darkness.' He glared at me, purpling, perplexed. "'You see you there?' said he, pointing at the house. "'I don't know,' said I. Tipton turned to his men, who were listening. "'Surround the house,' he cried, "'and watch this fellow.' I rode on perforce towards the house with Tipton and three others, while his men scattered over the cornfield and cursed the dogs. And then we saw in the open door the figure of a woman shading her eyes with her hand. We pulled up, five of us, before the porch in front of her. "'Good morning, Mrs. Brown,' said Tipton, gruffly. "'Good morning, Colonel.' answered the widow tipton leaped from his horse flung the bridle to a companion and put his foot on the edge of the porch to mount then a strange thing happened the lady turned deftly seized a chair from within and pulled it across the threshold she set herself down firmly an expression on her face which hinted that the late lamented mr brown had been a dominated man Colonel Tipton stopped, staggering from the very impetus of his charge, and gazed at her blankly. "'I've come for Colonel Sevier,' he blurted, and then his anger rising. "'I'll have no trifling, ma'am. He's in this house.' "'La, you don't tell me,' answered the widow in a tone that was wholly conversational. "'He's in this house,' shouted the colonel. "'I reckon you've guessed wrong, colonel,' said the widow. There was an awkward pause until Tipton heard a titter behind him. Then his wrath exploded. "'I have a warrant against the scoundrel for high treason,' he cried. "'And by God I will search the house and serve it.' Still the widow sat tight. The Rock of Ages was neither more movable nor calmer than she. "'Surely, Colonel, you would not invade the house of an unprotected female.' The Colonel, evidently with a great effort, throttled his wrath for the moment his new tone was apologetic but firm i regret to have to do so ma'am said he but both sexes are equal before the law 
the law repeated the widow seemingly tickled at the word she smiled indulgently at the colonel what a pity mr tipton that the law compels you to arrest such a good friend of yours as colonel sevier what self-sacrifice colonel tipton what nobility there was a second titter behind him whereat he swung round quickly and the crimson veins in his face looked as if they must burst he saw me with my hand over my mouth you warned him damn you he shouted and turning again leaped to the porch and tried to squeeze past the widow into the house i dare you sir she shrieked giving him a vigorous push backwards the four of us his three men and myself laughed outright tipton's rage leaped its bounds he returned to the attack again and again and yet at the crucial moment his courage would fail him and he would let the widow thrust him back suddenly i became aware that there were two new spectators of this comedy i started and looked again and was near to crying out at sight of one of them the others did cry out but tipton paid no heed ten years had made his figure more portly but i knew at once the man in the well-fitting hunting shirt with the long hair flowing to his shoulders with the keen dark face and courtly bearing and humorous eyes yes humorous even now for he stood smiling at this comedy played by his enemy unmindful of his peril the widow saw him before tipton did so intent was he on the struggle enough she cried enough john tipton tipton drew back involuntarily and a smile broadened on the widow's face shame on you for doubting a lady's word allow me to present to you colonel sevier tipton turned stared as a man might who sees a ghost and broke into such profanity as i have seldom heard by the eternal god john sevier he shouted i'll hang you to the nearest tree colonel sevier merely made a little ironical bow and looked at the gentleman beside him i have surrendered to colonel love he said tipton snatched from his belt the pistol he might have used on me and there flashed through my head the thought that some powder might yet be held in its pan we cried out all of us his men the widow and myself all save sevier who stood quietly smiling suddenly while we waited for murder a tall figure shot out of the door past the widow the pistol flew out of tipton's hand and tipton swung about with something like a bellow to face mr nicholas temple well i knew him and oddly enough at that time riddle's word of long ago came to me god help the woman you love or the man you fight how shall i describe him he was thin even to seeming frailness yet it was the frailness of the racehorse the golden hair sun-tanned awry across his forehead the face the same thin and finely cut face of the boy the gray eyes held an anger that did not blaze it was far more dangerous than that colonel john tipton looked and as i live he recoiled if you touch him i'll kill you said mr temple nor did he say it angrily i marked for the first time that he held a pistol in his slim fingers 
what tipton might have done when he swung to his new bearings is mere conjecture for colonel sevier himself stepped up on the porch laid his hand on temple's arm and spoke to him in a low tone what he said we didn't hear the astonishing thing was that neither of them for the moment paid any attention to the infuriated man beside them i saw nick's expression change he smiled the smile the landlord had described the smile that made men and women willing to die for him after that colonel sevier stooped down and picked up the pistol from the floor of the porch and handed it with a bow to tipton but first tipton took it seemingly without knowing why and at that instant a negro boy came around the house leading a horse sevier mounted it without a protest from anyone i'm ready to go with you gentlemen he said colonel tipton slipped his pistol back into his belt stepped down from the porch and leaped into his saddle and he and his men rode off into the stump-lined alley in the forest that was called a road nick stood beside the widow staring after them until they had disappeared my horse boy he shouted to the gaping negro who vanished on the errand what will you do mr temple asked the widow rescue him ma'am cried nick beginning to pace up and down i'll ride to turner's cosby and evans are there and before night we shall have made jonesboro too hot to hold tipton and his cutthroats la mr temple said the widow with unfeigned admiration i never saw the like of you but i know john tipton and he'll have colonel sevier started for north carolina before our boys can get to jonesboro then we'll follow says nick beginning to pace again suddenly at a cry from the widow he stopped and stared at me a light in his eye like a point of steel his hand slipped to his waist a spy he said and turned and smiled at the lady who was watching him with a kind of fascination but damnably cool he continued looking at me i wonder if he thinks to outride me on that beast look you sir he cried as mrs brown's negro came back struggling with a deep ribbed high crested chestnut that was making half circles on his hind legs i'll give you the edge of the woods and lay you a six forty against a pair of moccasins that you never get back to tipton god forbid that i ever do i answered fervently what he exclaimed and you here with him on this sneak's errand i'm here with him on no errand said i he and his crew came on me a quarter of an hour since at the edge of the clearing mr temple i'm here to find you and to save time i'll ride with you egad you'll have to ride like the devil then said he and he stooped and snatched the widow's hand and kissed it with a daring gallantry that i had thought to find in him he raised his eyes to hers good-bye mr temple she said there was a tremor in her voice and may you save our jack he snatched the bridle from the boy and with one leap he was on the rearing wheeling horse come on he cried to me and waving his hat at the lady on the porch he started off with a gallop up the trail in the opposite direction from that which tipton's men had taken all that i saw of mr nicholas temple on that ride to turner's was his back and presently i lost sight of that in truth i never got to turner's at all 
for i met him coming back at the wind's pace a huge swarthy determined man at his side and four others spurring after the spume dripping from the horses mouths they did not so much as look at me as they passed and there was nothing left for me to do but to turn my tired beast and follow at any pace i could make towards jonesboro it was late in the afternoon before i reached the town the town set down among the hills like a cauldron boiling over with the wrath of franklin the news of the capture of their beloved saviour had flown through the mountains like seeds on the autumn wind and from north south east and west the faithful were coming in cursing tipton and carolina as they rode i tethered my tired beast at the first picket and was no sooner on my feet than i was caught in the hurrying stream of the crowd and fairly pushed and beaten towards the courthouse around it a thousand furious men were packed i heard cheering hoarse and fierce cries threats and imprecations and i knew that they were listening to oratory i was suddenly shot around the corner of a house saw the orator himself and gasped it was nicholas temple there was something awe-impelling in the tall slim boyish figure that towered above the crowd in the finely wrought passionate face in the voice charged with such an anger as is given to few men what has north carolina done for franklin he cried protected her no repudiated her yes you gave her to the confederacy for a war debt and the confederacy flung her back you shook yourselves free from carolina's tyranny and traitors betrayed you again and now they've betrayed your leader will you avenge him or will you sit down like cowards while they hang him for treason his voice was drowned but he stood immovable with arms folded until there was silence again will you rescue him he cried and the roar rose again will you avenge him by tomorrow we shall have two thousand here invade north carolina humble her bring her to her knees and avenge john sevier pandemonium reigned hats were flung in the air rifles fired shouts and curses rose and blended into one terrifying note gradually in the midst of this mad uproar the crowd became aware that another man was standing upon the stump from which nicholas temple had leaped cosby someone yelled cosby the cry was taken up you say for crosby he'll lead us into caroliny he was the huge swarthy man i had seen riding hard with nick that morning a sculptor might have chosen his face and frame for a type of iron-handed leader of pioneers will was supreme in the great features inflexible indomitable will his hunting-shirt was open across his great chest his black hair fell to his shoulders and he stood with a compelling hand raised for silence and when he spoke slowly resonantly men fell back before his words i admire mr temple's courage and above all his loyalty to our beloved general said major cosby but mr temple is young and the heated counsels of youth must not prevail my friends in order to save jack sevier we must be moderate his voice strong as it was was lost 
to hell with moderation they shouted down with north carolina we'll fight her he got silence again by the magnetic strength he had in him very good he said but get your general first if we lead you across the mountains now his blood will be upon your heads no man is a better friend to jack sevier than i leave his rescue to me and i'll get him for you he paused and they were stilled perforce i will get him for you he repeated slowly or north carolina will pay for the burial of james cosby there was an instant when they might have swung either way how will you do it came in a thin piping voice from somewhere near the stump it may have been this that turned their minds others took up the question how will you do it major cosby i don't know cried the major i don't know and if i did know i wouldn't tell you but i will get nalachucky jack if i have to burn morganton and rake the general out of the cinders five hundred hands flew up five hundred voices cried i'm with you major cosby but the major only shook his head and smiled what he said was lost in the roar fighting my way forward i saw him get down from the stump put his hand kindly on nick's shoulder and lead him into the courthouse they were followed by a score of others and the door was shut behind them it was then i bethought myself of the letter to mr wright and i sought for someone who would listen to my questions about his whereabouts at length the man himself was pointed out to me haranguing an excited crowd of partisans in front of his own gate some twenty minutes must have passed before i could get any word with him he was a vigorous little man with black eyes like buttons he wore brown homespun and white stockings and his hair was clubbed when he had yielded the ground to another orator i handed him the letter he drew me aside read it on the spot and became all hospitality at once the town was full and though he had several friends staying in his house i should join them was my horse fed dinner had been forgotten that day but would i enter and partake in short i found myself suddenly provided for and i lost no time in getting my weary mount into mr wright's little stable and then i sat down with several other gentlemen at mr wright's board where there was much guessing as to major cosby's plan no other man west of the mountains could have calmed that crowd after that young daredevil temple had stirred them up declared mr wright i ventured to say that i had business with mr temple faith then i will invite him here said my host but i warn you mr ritchie that he's a trigger set on the hair if he does not fancy you he may quarrel with you and shoot you and he's in no temper to be trifled with to-day i'm not an easy person to quarrel with i answered to look at you i shouldn't say that you were said he we're going to the courthouse and i'll see if i can get a word with the young hotspur and send him to you do you wait here i waited on the porch as the day waned the tumult of the place had died down for men were gathering in the houses to discuss and conjecture and presently sauntering along the street in a careless fashion his spurs trailing in the dust came nicholas temple he stopped before the house and stared at me with a fine insolence 
and I wondered whether I myself had not been too hasty in reclaiming him. A greeting died on my lips. "'Well, sir,' he said, "'so you're the gentleman who's been dogging me all day.' "'I dog no one, Mr. Temple,' I replied bitterly. "'We'll not quibble about words,' said he. "'Would it be impertinent to ask your business, and perhaps your name?' "'Did not Mr. Wright give you my name?' I exclaimed. "'He might have mentioned it. I did not hear. Is it of such importance?' At that I lost my temper entirely. "'It may be, and it may not,' I retorted. "'I'm David Ritchie.' He changed before my eyes as he stared at me, and then, ere I knew it, he had me by both arms, crying out, "'David Ritchie! My Davy, who ran away from me, and we were going to Kentucky together? Oh, I've never forgiven you!' the smile that there was no resisting belied his words as he put his face close to mine i never will forgive you i might have known you you've grown but i vow you're still an old man davy you renegade and where the devil did you run to kentucky i said laughing oh you traitor and i trusted you i loved you davy do you remember how i clung to you in my sleep and when i woke up the world was black i followed your trail down the drive and to the crossroads it was not ingratitude nick i said and you were all i had in the world and then i faltered the sadness of that far-off time coming over me in a flood and the remembrance of his generous sorrow for me and how the devil did you track me to the widow brown's he demanded releasing me a Mr. Jackson had a shrewd notion you were there, and by the way, he was in a fine temper because you had skipped a race with him. That sorrel-topped, lantern-headed Mr. Jackson, said Nick. He'll be killed in one of his fine tempers. Damn a man who can't keep his temper. I'll race him, of course. And where are you bound now, Davy? For Louisville, in Kentucky, at the fall of the Ohio. It's a growing place and a promising one for a young man in the legal profession to begin life. When do you leave? said he. Tomorrow morning, Nick, said I. You wanted once to go to Kentucky. Why not come with me? His face clouded. I do not budge from this town, said he. I do not budge until I hear that Jack Sevier is safe. Damn, Cosby. If he had given me my way, I should have been forty miles from here by this. I'll tell you, Cosby is even now picking five men to go to Morganton and steal Sevier, and he puts me off with a kind word. He'll not have me, he says. He thinks you too hot. It needs discretion and an old head, said I. Egad, then, I'll commend you to him, said Nick. Now, I said, it's time for you to tell me something of yourself and how you chanced to come into this country. "'Twas Darnley's fault,' said Nick. "'Darnley!' I exclaimed. "'He whom you got into the duel with—' I stopped abruptly, with a sharp twinge of remembrance that was like a pain in my side. "'Twas Nick took up the name. "'With Harry Riddle,' he spoke quietly. "'That was the terrifying part of it. "'David, I've looked for that man in Italy and France. I've scoured London for him, and by God I'll find him before he dies. 
and when I do find him I swear to you that there will be no such thing as time wasted or mercy. I shuddered. In all my life I had never known such a moment of indecision. Should I tell him? My conscience would give me no definite reply. The question had haunted me all the night, and I had lost my way in consequence, nor had the morning's ride from the widow Brown's sufficed to bring me to a decision. Of what use to tell him? Would Riddle's death mend matters? The woman loved him. That had been clear to me. Yet by telling Nick what I knew I might induce him to desist from his search and if I did not tell, Nick might some day run across the trail, follow it up, take Riddle's life, and lose his own. The moment, made for confession as it was, passed. "'They've ruined my life,' said Nick. "'I curse him, and I curse her.' "'Hold!' I cried. "'She is your mother, and therefore I curse her the more,' he said. "'You know what she is. You've tasted of her charity.' and you're my father's nephew if you've been without experience i will tell you what she is a common i reached out and put my hand across his mouth silence i cried you shall say no such thing and have you not manhood enough to make your own life for yourself manhood he repeated and laughed it was a laugh i did not like they made a man of me my parents my father played false with the rebels and fled to england for his reward a year after he went i was left alone at temple bow to the tender mercies of the niggers mr mason came back and snatched what was left of me he was a good man he saved me an annuity out of the estate he took me abroad after the war on a grand tour and died of a fever in rome i made my way back to charlestown and there i learned to gamble to hold liquor like a gentleman to run horses and fight like a gentleman we were speaking of darnley he said yes of darnley i repeated the devil of a man said nick do you remember him with the cracked voice and fat calves at any other time i should have laughed at the recollection darnley turned whig became a continental colonel and got a grant out here in the cumberland country of three thousand acres and now i own it you own it i exclaimed rattle and snap said nick i played him for the land at the ordinary one night and won it it's out here near a place called nashboro where this wild long-faced mr jackson says he's going soon i crossed the mountains to have a look at it fell in with nalachucky jack and went off with him for a summer campaign there's a man for you davy he cried a man to follow through hell fire if they touch a hair of his head we'll sack the state of north carolina from morganton to the sea but the land i asked oh a fig for the land answered nick as soon as nalachucky jack is safe i'll follow you into kentucky he slapped me on the knee egad davy it seems like a fairy tale we always said we were going to Kentucky, didn't we? What's the name of the place you're to startle with your learning and calm by your example? Louisville, I answered, laughing, by the falls of the Ohio. I shall turn up there when Jack Sevier is safe and I've won some more land from Mr. Jackson. We'll have a rare old time together, 
though I have no doubt you can drink me under the table. Beware of these sober men. Egad, Davy, you need only a woolsack to become a full-fledged judge. And now, tell me how fortune has buffeted you. It was my second night without sleep, for we set burning candles in Mr. Wright's house until the dawn, making up the time which we had lost away from each other. End of chapter 6